Welcome to another episode of the Positive Change Podcast, a podcast that is all about inspiring new and different thinking, challenging the status quo and creating positive change for you and for the world around you. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Harmer. And in this, our third series of the podcast, we're continuing to look at how spiritual concepts can be applied within organizational contexts. And the topic for today is altruism, selflessness, and this idea of all of our actions being for the benefit of all beings. So the question to ask ourselves here in this episode is what might be holding you, me, and us back from our true and authentic altruistic intent? So if this episode sounds like one that interests you, tune in. Hi, I'm Dr. Richard Harmer, and you're about to discover new ways to go from overwhelm to thriving in your business and in your life by following your passions, pursuing your unique life purpose, and stepping fully into your infinite potential. You deserve to live your best life, a life filled with all of the clarity, courage, and commitment you need to be happy and to make a positive impact on the world. So get ready, because this podcast challenges society's expectations for what it means to be successful in life and in business, and invites you to grow beyond outdated assumptions for defining who you are. Welcome to the Positive Change Podcast. So welcome back to another episode of the Positive Change Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Richard Harmer. And in this series, we're looking at spiritual concepts and how they might be applied to organizational contexts. And the particular topic for today is altruism and selflessness and the idea of all of our actions being for the benefit of all beings. And the question I'm asking is what might be holding you and me and us back from really living into our true and authentic altruistic intent? And the answer is ego. Now, there's popular literature or dialogue that really explores the idea of ego within many spiritual traditions, including Buddhism. And one of the things that maybe the misnomers is it's about the death of the ego or killing the ego or no ego or beyond ego or egoless. And perhaps a more useful way of thinking about this is healthy ego rather than unhealthy ego. Because the reality is that the ego cannot be killed. Um, it cannot be ended. Because when we start to ask the question, how do we, inverted commas, kill our ego? We have to ask ourselves, which ego are you talking about? There's multiple egos. Now, as some of you who have listened to this podcast for a few years now, my background is developmental psychology. And one of the things we do know about how an individual grows, evolves, and expands their sense of who they are is we do this through stages, through levels of increasing embrace of life itself. And each of those stages and sub-stages and so on and so forth, each have an representative ego a self a sense of who i amness that is relevant to that level of identity maturity and as we continue to grow and evolve we outgrow those egos those senses of self and we begin to grow into and adopt and embody a new ego so when we say which ego are we inverted commas killing we need to ask which one is it that we're referring to. And the challenge is that the ego that we can see, the ego that I go, there it is, is no longer the ego that is dominant of our sense of self. 
it's the egos we've transcended already. So it's no longer the current ego. And therefore, it's really hard to, in inverted commas, create a death of the ego because egos are naturally dying all the time and being transcended and subsumed by even more advanced, more expansive, and hopefully more integrated senses of self or egos. So if we take a psychological view of ego, starting with Freud, what is ego? Well, from Freud's perspective, it was the organization of a realistic intent of ourselves that was supposed to hold a counterpoint or a sense of balancing between two other sub-domains, for want of a better phrase, of our personality, our id, that is our base desires, and our superego, our socialized, culturally established norms, our morals, which can, and either each of the id and the superego, if we take that logic, can be hyper-sensitive to and hyper-extreme in certain directions, following our base desires and adhering to some moral compass that may or may not be aligned to uh, or fit within the real world. And our ego's role was to balance those two things, to provide a sense of common sense to how each and every one of us operate. So the ego is a central organizing principle of self that allows for realistic judgment a sense of tolerance, an ability to plan and respond, to defend against certain misguided elements of our other subdomains of self, to synthesize information, to create and to hold memory. So when I think about each of those considerations, why would we want to end the very thing that helps us have a sense of stability and rightness within the world around us. So I think what we're really talking about here is an idea between what I'm gonna call the little e ego and the big e ego or the healthy ego. So when we think about the death of the ego, I think what we're referring to here in life, in leadership, in relationships, in work, and home, and whichever life context we find ourselves in, what we're really referring to here I think is the con- containment and the resolution of the frailty of the little e ego now the primary role of the little e the ego as i've shared earlier is to balance out between the desires of the id the unconscious base desires of the id and the super ego's hypersensitivity to social and cultural norms and morals that may or may not be at certain times realistic. So the when the ego get becomes compromised with one of those two elements, it starts to become defensive against those desires, against those impulses, whether it be of the id or of the superego. Now, again, I'm taking a psychological frame here, and this is just one frame we could use. But if the ego's role, when it becomes compromised, it becomes defensive against its inability to control or to make sense of the unconscious desires of both the id and the superego, then then pretty common psychological dysfunctions eventuate. Denial, 
dissociation, idealization, intellectualization of things, all these considerations about a disconnection from the felt experience of what is actually going on, fantasy, identification with others over self, projection onto others, introjection of others' desires onto ourselves, ego splitting or disowning. There is a bunch of things that play out that are, inverted commas, unhealthy. Now, a really clear example of this, for example, around um, projection or, or identification with others is wanting to be like others rather than fully owning our true selves, which I've talked about in a previous podcast. Now, as I've shared in that previous podcast, anytime we disown our true self and try to identify it with somebody else, as the saying goes, the carbon copy is never as good as the original, it's going to fail. And therefore, our ego starts to become even more anxious about trying to prove itself against something that is impossible to prove itself against. Now, the big E ego, or a better term may be the healthy ego, is deeply motivated and has minimal anxiety. And the healthy ego has the psychological power to fully own itself, accept itself, and stand up for itself. It both honors and defends its personal boundaries so that it maintains a solid and flexible sense of self that is owned from the inside out. Ceases to feel inferior or not good enough when it compares itself to others. It starts to recognize that others are them and I am me. And it starts to understand that by comparing itself to others, it's healthy for growth, but not necessarily healthy for a sense of personal well-being. It has personal power, autonomy, agency. It approaches life as a learning experience. It's curious and it's ready to explore. And it treats self and others as infinitely resourceful now at this point i think it's useful to make a distinction between a, someone with a big ego and a healthy ego now oftentimes when i've just described those considerations we stand up for ourselves and we honor and protect our boundaries and we don't we stop feeling inferior to other people and fully own ourselves and we have personal power and autonomy and agency and we're curious and we we think we're infinitely resourceful and we're 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 outwardly orientated rather than defending and protecting some people might say well i know people like that they've got they're full of ego they're they're loud and they're overbearing but isn't that just when you say that standing up for yourself that doesn't make sense to me because it's those people are obnoxious but i think the intent here of a healthy ego it's not about scarcity. So, so somebody may have, inverted commas, a big ego that may not be healthy because in part, they're using their, inverted commas, big ego as a defense mechanism against feeling insecure. Now, there are many, many more reasons than what I've just described. That's a bit of um, simplistic psychology. But one of the key reasons people uh, show a lot of bravado that maybe, inverted commas, unwarranted is because they're trying to justify rather than oneself to to themselves and others rather than just knowing that i'm enough you see little ego operates from scarcity trying to defend whereas or, or from lack versus a healthy ego operates more from abundance from a sense of acceptance of self and others and appreciation and acknowledgement and an elevation of self and others in healthy ways now 
abundance and scarcity is probably a topic for another podcast, which I'll come back to. But when we take this idea of ego, of healthy ego, from a spiritual perspective. Now, there's many spiritual perspectives, I know. But the one spiritual perspective I'm going to adopt here for a moment is this idea of no ego or the transcendence of ego in spirituality. And I've alluded to, yes, we want an ego that is contented with itself and not trying to justify itself or defend itself. It's, it's strong. It's resilient and it's healthy. But to try and destroy that ego or to um, get into nihilism around that ego is a recipe, a potential recipe for disaster. And in spirituality, there's a common term that's often used around spiritual bypassing. Now, some of you may have heard this term before, but what it really means is avoiding facing into unresolved issues that are either personal or interpersonal or systemic. For example, saying that you know I meditate so I'm aware or I'm awake, but I'm not actually applying the practice of mindfulness or meditation to work on my own defenses, to become in closer contact with those tensions within myself that I don't yet want to own or understand. It's spiritual bypassing is disconnecting from a healthy ego where a healthy ego has the courage and the commitment to stay present to the very things that are uncomfortable and create anxiety and disturbances. Bypassing is suppressing negative or painful emotions rather than owning and integrating them into a stronger and more fulsome sense of self. So instead, fostering a healthy, fully realized ego doesn't need to contort itself. It doesn't need to contort itself to the unconscious desires of the id or the unrealistic moral imperatives of the superego. The healthy ego has an understanding of the boundaries it needs to hold to balance those unconscious desires and unrealistic moral imperatives and to balance those and present self to the world in a way that is true and authentic and is accepting of self and others in that domain. An early Buddhist text, the Pali Canon, there's a quote in there that I was reading this morning in preparation for this particular podcast that said, a wise person is one who knows the difference between what are and are not his personal responsibilities and takes on only the responsibilities that are his and not those of others. Now, this is one of the first principles of healthy ego functioning, healthy boundaries, knowing what is my personal responsibilities versus what isn't and only taking on my own personal responsibilities and not others. Healthy ego function is all about really good boundaries between self and others. Fully owning self and not projecting or interjecting or denying or anything of another person. And this too speaks to, in Buddhism and in other spiritual traditions, speaks to, to karma. We are each responsible for our own actions and we will experience the results of our actions. 
owning those actions that are ours to own and recognizing that every single action we take it's cause and effect really every action we take has an effect it has a consequence so each action we take will result in a consequence for us somewhere through time now if we take an appreciation of karma knowing that this topic is all about the idea of altruism selflessness and for the benefit of all beings if we take an appreciation of karma it leads us to a really important question what actions do i take today that will lead to my long-term welfare and happiness what actions will i do i take today that will lead to my long-term welfare and happiness now the key in this question here is twofold first of all happiness depends on what you do today and tomorrow the actions you take now actions you take has a continuum from the mental actions we take you know thinking good thoughts versus thinking bad thoughts through to the actions we take as a consequence of those thoughts and emotions and second pursuing happiness is worthwhile only if it's considered in the long term short-term suffering short-term discomfort you know looking at our own inner turmoil or conflict or tension or uh, anxiety looking at our short term for the benefit of the long term of our long-term welfare and happiness short-term suffering for long-term happiness and welfare and this leads us to a consideration of the four noble truths in buddhism but before I get to that, I really want to dive into this idea of karma. Now, in psychology, we often talk about this as responsibility. Responsibility, our ability to respond. The ability to have intention, to have intention around our actions, uh, sorry, an intention around our mindsets, our thinking, our emotions, and our actions taking responsibility recognizing every single thing we do or don't do has a consequence and to intentionally pursue those activities that will be ultimately rewarding for ourselves in the longer term rewarding in terms of welfare and ultimately happiness and this is where our ego is incredibly important it recognizes when we're feeling discontent when we're noticing a disturbance in our sense of who I amness and understanding that that discontent, that tension, that anxiety, that worry, that something's not quite right here in us is essential to understanding and continue to grow and evolve a sense of self to more expansive and more integrated, more world-oriented senses of self. Okay, so back to the sense and the four noble truths of Buddhism. Life is suffering. The source of suffering is desire, that is our ego's cravings. Oh, sorry, I, I, it's cravings, a sense of craving. And ignorance, judgment. Not seeing reality as it truly is. Desiring something that is different to what is currently actually existing. Four noble truths. One, life is suffering. The source of suffering is ignorance and craving. Three, 
the cessation of all suffering is possible. And four, there is a pathway towards ending suffering. Now, in Buddhism, it's called the Eightfold Path. In other spiritualities and religions, there will be other considerations. Um, the, the path of, of ultimate love in Christianity, for example. But in essence, good actions even over taking bad actions. <laughs> Again, it's back to karma. The, the end of suffering is about taking right action. Right thinking, right mindset, right concentration, right speech, so on and so forth, even overtaking bad action. Continuing to put good energy into the world around us, even overtaking bad action. Now, there's another consideration around this idea of ending suffering, that individual suffering ends when all suffering ends, when all suffering ends for all. So when, I remember when I was with one of my meditation teachers, where every single time we sat on the cushion, he would say something similar to, this practice is for the benefit of all beings. Every single time we practice, considering this eightfold path of right concentration, right mindfulness, this practice is not only for my own personal benefit, for my own resolution of ego frailty, strengthening my ego, to having a healthy ego that is aware of its healthy boundaries, of its attachments, of its desires, of its ignorance, and is working on those. It's not just for my own individual benefit. It's for the benefit of all beings, of all life. So in Every single time we actively work on ending our own individual suffering, we're also working towards ending the suffering of all beings. And this is the key here. An ego's suffering, that is feelings of anxiety or not quite rightness, is an indication of self-work. So when we're pursuing, say, mindfulness as an example, and we're noticing our ego's inverted commas suffering, bypassing is about ignoring that suffering. But the real work is about recognizing that suffering and seeking to resolve it. It's not seeking to make a story out of it, you know, some sort of thing about the woe is meanness of it all. That's another sense of ignorance. But it's a sense of why is this occurring for me now? And we're doing that self-work for the benefit of self and all beings. You see, you can't take away other people's sufferings. But you can work on your own. And in working on your own, you build those centuries, those uh, central boundaries of owning yourself, of, of not projecting out there, of not activating your own defenses, to being open and transparent and accepting and appreciating of self and others. You become more neutral, more equanimous. And with that neutrality, you're better able to support other people to work on their own sense of suffering for the benefit of all beings. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Positive Change Podcast, really looking at altruism, selflessness, for the benefit of all beings and the real power of not trying to deny our own desires or to 
adhere unconsciously to potentially unrealistic moral imperatives of life, but to really have a sense of who am I? This is my unique self. This is what I stand for. This is what's important to me. And I, that sense of healthy ego, the sense of the ability to make really clear judgments, to be tolerant and accepting of others, to plan, to, to put in place the necessary protections to ensure that we have a sense of self that is untainted by and uncompromised by others. Sense of synthesizing our own memories and experiences in ways that continue to build a sense of personal power, personal well-being, and personal welfare. Until next time. Hi, and thank you so much for checking out another episode of the Positive Change Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit subscribe using the button below and make sure you also click the bell icon to get notified every time we release a new episode. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, we have them in the link underneath, as well as our social media handles and some links to free training and other offers that we drop from time to time to help you go from overwhelmed to thriving in pursuing your best life. So go ahead and check out this episode's show notes if you're interested. And thank you so much for tuning into the Positive Change Podcast.